0: If you're seeking Biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney, Husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher, join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This. Is biblical counseling today
1: the term schizophrenia was coined just over a hundred years ago in the year 1910 by the Swiss psychiatrist Paul Bleuler it is derived from the Greek word schizo meaning split and friend meaning mind Bleuler used this label to refer to the loosening of thoughts and feelings that was the prominent feature in this disorder Now, partly because of the term itself, many people mistakenly think of schizophrenia as a split personality, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, that's a totally different disorder, typically referred to as multiple personality disorder. Schizophrenics do not move between two different personalities. This term, schizophrenia, actually replaces an earlier diagnosis that was even more misleading and confusing, dementia praecox. Dementia of Early Life. This particular term was coined by German psychiatrist Emil Kraepelin, who mistakenly believed that this disorder only occurred in young people, a young person's dementia. Unfortunately, it's common in our day and age to hear the word schizophrenic used as an adjective to mean changeable or unpredictable. My boss is so schizophrenic, he changes the office policies on a weekly basis. Or, I'm being so schizophrenic when it comes to our summer vacation plans, mountains, or beach. This is not schizophrenia, even if it may demonstrate a split mind. So even though the term schizophrenia has been with us over a 100 years or so, it's not just a modern problem. One author in the magazine Psychology Today posits that King Saul was a schizophrenic as a result of divine punishment or demon possession. Interestingly, the author says this about what he believes was Saul's illness. Quote, the fact that David used to play on his harp to make Saul better suggests that even in antiquity, people believed that psychotic illnesses could be successfully treated. There you go, the earliest record of music psychotherapy. Now, in the rest of this article in Psychology Today, this central point emerges. Only primitive people thought of schizophrenia as a result of punishment from the gods or some sort of demonic possession. Today, with our great advances in science, psychology, and technology, we understand schizophrenia to be a medical illness that cannot be cured but can be effectively treated with antipsychotic medications. Of course, it wasn't too far in our past that this same community thought that electroshock treatment or prefrontal lobotomies were the way to fix this so-called illness. So how are we as Christians to best understand the very difficult psychotic disorders, such as schizophrenia? Should we just leave them to the medical and psychiatric realms to handle? Or are there biblical and practical truths that can be wisely applied to this stubborn problem? Well, let's dig down deep into the heart of schizophrenia. We need to begin with a good understanding of what schizophrenia is. It's most often described as a serious brain disease with no true cure. Schizophrenics have dysfunctional brains which change the way they perceive the world. Now, even though there are various types of schizophrenia, which we'll discuss in a moment, they have the following common symptoms. First, delusions. Delusions are false beliefs that are not based in reality. For example, the belief you are being stalked or harassed on a daily basis. Or certain gestures or comments are directed solely towards you. Or you have exceptional ability or fame. Or another person who isn't is in love with you. Or a major catastrophe is about to occur. These are delusions. Then second, there are hallucinations. Hallucinations usually involve seeing or hearing things that don't exist. Yet for the person with schizophrenia, they have the full force and impact of a normal experience. Hallucinations can be in any of the senses, but hearing voices is the most common problem. The third characteristic of schizophrenia is disorganized thinking and speech. Effective communication is often impaired. Answers to questions may be partially or completely unrelated. Sometimes speech may include putting together meaningless words that can't be understood by anyone. Disorganized speech reveals disorganized thinking. Then there's this characteristic, extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior. This aspect may show up in a number of ways from childlike silliness to unpredictable agitation. Behavior can include resistance to instructions, inappropriate or bizarre posture, a complete lack of physical response, or useless and excessive movement. And then fifth, negative character qualities. Now in schizophrenics, this refers to reduced or the lack of ability to function normally. For example, a person may neglect personal hygiene or appear to lack emotion, doesn't make contact, doesn't change facial expressions, speaks in a monotone voice, etc. Also, the person may have lost interest in everyday activities. Are socially withdrawn, or lack the ability to experience any kind of pleasure. So to sum it up, schizophrenia is a disorder which is characterized by a break with reality, including delusions, hallucinations, and extremely disordered thinking and behavior, which impairs daily functioning. Now, as I mentioned earlier, psychiatrists have traditionally categorized schizophrenia into at least four main subtypes. First, there's paranoid schizophrenia. The emphasis here is on paranoid thinking and behavior. Then there's catatonic schizophrenia, where a person shuts down emotionally, mentally, and even physically. A person can actually appear paralyzed. Third, there's undifferentiated schizophrenia. The person has various vague symptoms. And then finally, schizoaffective disorder where the person has delusional thinking and maybe some of the symptoms of schizophrenia, but also has a mood disorder like bipolar or depression. Now, interestingly, the latest edition of the Psychiatric Bible, the DSM-5, has removed these categories, choosing to think of schizophrenia as a spectrum disorder. In other words, you either have schizophrenia or you don't, But the various symptoms can make your particular brand of schizophrenia fall somewhere on a continuum. For example, instead of diagnosing someone with paranoid schizophrenia, the proper label is schizophrenia with paranoia. So just like many of the more complicated disorders, definitions and distinctions continue to change and evolve. But one thing that has never changed is that schizophrenia is considered by even the best of psychiatric experts to be incurable. In other words, even though they act like they understand this disorder and know how to handle it, they really don't. Listen to the treatment plan for schizophrenia found on the Mayo Clinic website. Schizophrenia requires lifelong treatment, even when symptoms have subsided. Treatment with medications and psychosocial therapy can help manage this condition. Medications are the cornerstone of the treatment of schizophrenia, and antipsychotic medications are the most commonly prescribed drugs. They're thought to control symptoms by affecting the brain neurotransmitter dopamine. The goal of treatment with antipsychotic medications is effectively manage signs and symptoms at the lowest possible dose. Once psychosis recedes, in addition to continuing on medication, psychological and social interventions are important, including individual therapy, social skills training, family therapy, and vocational rehabilitation. Now, for the most severe of symptoms, the Mayo Clinic recommends hospitalization and even electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, better known as shock therapy. So this is the typical thinking about schizophrenia out there. It's a brain disease that cannot be cured, requires lifetime ongoing medication, with only some symptom relief that's possible. That's not a whole lot of hope for the schizophrenic, is it? And to think of schizophrenia as a spiritual heart problem is a no-no for sure. Well, let's push against the common wisdom a bit and look to gain a better, more biblical understanding of schizophrenia. Here's the first principle. The Possibility of Demon Possession In Luke 8 we read the story of the Gerasene or Gadarene demoniac. He is described this way. A man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. The demon had seized him many times and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard and yet he would break his bonds and be driven into the desert. Now, this brief description doesn't get us into the head of this man, so we don't know if he was having delusions or hallucinations. But the rest of the behavior sure looks like he would be diagnosed on the schizophrenic spectrum. So, could what we call schizophrenia today be rooted in demon possession? Now, to even say that out loud on a podcast would cause a majority of people to either laugh or to be insanely angry. How ludicrous to believe in demons. Do you also think the earth is flat? Or have you watched The Exorcist too many times? Then there's the angry response. How dare you accuse these people of having demons inside of them when they just have a brain disease? You think they are so evil that demons possess them? How insensitive. But there's a third response out there when it comes to this issue. There are those who believe in schizophrenia as a brain disease, but also believe there's such a thing as demon possession. They're just two different things. Now here's an example of an attempt to diagnose the distinctions from a website talking about the difference between schizophrenia and demon possession. Demons want nothing to do with Christ. Conversely, people with schizophrenia are often devoutly religious. In the New Testament accounts involving demons, the demons spoke in a rational manner. People with schizophrenia often speak in nonsense and jump rapidly between unrelated topics. Demons in the New Testament would speak through people to convey supernatural knowledge. Those with schizophrenia have no such ability to know facts they have not acquired by normal learning. There is an aspect to demon activity that is just plain spooky. Trances, telepathy, levitation. This occultic phenomena is not present with schizophrenia. Those who claim to be possessed are very likely not possessed. Demons wish to be secretive. And finally, if prayer solves the problem, then it's not schizophrenia. If medicine alleviates a problem, it isn't demon possession. Now I'll let you decide if you can make these distinctions between demon possession and schizophrenia. Personally, I think a case could be made that demon possession underlies at least some and maybe most schizophrenia. An important question is, why are we, even many Christians, so adverse to thinking that people can be possessed by demons today? Is it just too unsophisticated to hold that view? Does it seem to be too bizarre? Or are we just accustomed to explaining all problems away through medical science? Did demon possession only happen in Bible times? As Christians, we must recognize that the Bible does teach that people can be possessed and oppressed by demons. And the descriptions of that possession do sound very similar to people with various psychotic disorders. So what has changed for us to believe that demons no longer operate in this way? And then there's the more challenging question. What do we do if we suspect a person is possessed by a demon or even many demons? How do we cast out demons today? Certainly this circumstance would take much prayer and some cautious intervention. The few times I have been around a person suspected to be possessed by a demon were pretty scary. Yet, if we believe that God is sovereign and that Jesus has total power over Satan and his demons, then there's nothing for us to fear as believers. We can have total confidence that the power and grace of God can deliver anyone from the control of Satan. Now, just to be clear, I am not suggesting that symptoms of schizophrenia are all caused by the work of demons. But the work of demons should not be ruled out. Satan is still alive and well in modern times, and he is a roaring lion seeking all he can destroy. Let's consider more ways for us to understand the complex problem of schizophrenia. We need to talk about the need to escape reality. One of the hallmark characteristics of schizophrenia is that the person is detached from reality. Mickey is a 20-year-old man who was brought to the emergency room by the campus police of his college from which he had been suspended several months ago. A professor had called and reported that Mickey had walked into his classroom, accused him of taking his tuition money, and refused to leave. Although Mickey had much academic success as a teenager, His behavior had become increasingly odd during the past year. He quit seeing his friends and no longer seemed to care about his appearance or social pursuits. He began wearing the same clothes every day and seldom bathed. He lived with several family members but rarely spoke to any of them. When he did talk to them, he said he had found clues that his college was just a front for an organized crime operation. He had been suspended from college because of missing many classes. His sister said that she had often seen him mumbling quietly to himself, and at times he seemed to be talking to people who were not there. He would emerge from his room and ask his family to be quiet, even when they were not making any noise. Mickey's family said that they have never known him to use drugs or alcohol, and his drug screening results were negative. So Mickey, somewhere along the line, has clearly left the realm of reality. The question is, why? What has happened over the past year that made his real life as an academically successful college student one that he no longer tolerated? Now, this information is often hard to discover as a young man like Mickey may be working overtime to keep it hidden. After all, to have this sort of break with reality, why would you want to face it? Again, it's possible that something physiological happened, like a brain tumor, which needs to be diagnosed and treated. But should we always think that brain chemistry just went out of whack all of a sudden? It's more likely in this case that something in his reality is so terrible that it needs to be avoided. Seeking help from college friends may turn up some important information. Well, this leads us to the next useful principle. The Great Probability of Past Sexual Abuse. In 2011, a leading British psychologist made the claim that childhood sexual abuse is a strong predictor of schizophrenia in later life. According to Paul Bebbington, childhood sexual abuse is a contributing cause of at least 17% of the cases of psychotic illnesses, including schizophrenia. The worse the abuse the more it increases the risk of developing psychosis. Someone who has experienced non-consexual sexual intercourse before the age of 16 is 10 times more likely to develop this mental disorder. According to the psychologists, this fact is especially significant because of the ongoing problem of sexual abuse in childhood. Eight in every hundred people have experienced molestation, while 1% of men and 3% of women report having had non-consensual sexual intercourse under the age of 16. It is possible to calculate that if childhood sexual abuse suddenly ceased, there might be as much as a 17% reduction in people suffering from schizophrenia. Now, all this should make sense, since the reality of the trauma of sexual abuse can certainly be something that a person would want to avoid, and escape. If the event or series of events were not handled properly, the temptation to split the mind and suppress the pain can easily produce delusions, hallucinations, and disordered thinking. Childhood sexual abuse is a challenging problem that will be covered in another podcast. The point to hold on to here is that it should be suspected when someone is displaying symptoms of schizophrenia. I've read some research recently about the number of schizophrenics that were molested by Catholic priests as children. Adding the religious nature of the relationship and the overall cover-up by the church makes this a powerful reality to want to break from. And then here's another principle. Always consider the impact of teenage drug use. There have been numerous studies specifically about the use of marijuana and future symptoms of schizophrenia. From the ones I've read, there are no clear conclusions, but it seems that marijuana use definitely increases the risk of a psychotic reaction. Well, what about the use of other more dangerous drugs, specifically hallucinogens? Wouldn't it make sense that illicit drug use would have a strong potential to cause symptoms of delusions and hallucinations, even when a person isn't on the drug at the time? The schizophrenics I've been in contact with over the years all had a history of substance abuse during their teenage years. The question then becomes, were they using drugs to deal with problems of their mind or did the drug use produce problems of the mind? Could it also be the case that teens use drugs to deal with problems like anxiety or depression only to create bigger problems of thought and behavior that can become psychotic over time? Yet another reason for parents to teach their children to say no to drugs. We certainly live in a time where every generation is more willing and more susceptible to using both legal medications and illegal drugs to alter thinking and behavior. We should not be surprised that brains can become damaged beyond recognition. And then the next principle. Look for stressful, significant life changes. The onset of schizophrenia in males is typically late teens and early 20s. In females, it is mid-20s to early 30s. A fascinating fact is that schizophrenia rarely occurs before the age of 12 or after the age of 40. So what is it about the late teens and early adult years that increases the possibility of psychotic breaks? Well, for one thing, there are all sorts of individual milestones happening. Think about these life changes. Graduation from high school, the stressful college years, the first major job, the start of a career, marriage, first child. A lot happens in a short space of time. Now, I'm not saying that stress alone can push a person into schizophrenia, If that were the case, we would certainly have many, many more schizophrenics out there. But if the stressful life situations are combined with substance abuse, maybe sexual experimentation or abuse, and maybe some other trauma, a person could certainly detach from reality. Without a relationship with Jesus, life changes can become very scary and ones that we might want to avoid. Then add to that difficult relationships and the temptation to withdraw into a shell heightens. Think back to Mickey. College seemed to be going fine, yet there could have been a myriad of things that made it all just too difficult. It was much easier to fear everyone and everything. Yes, schizophrenia is certainly a severe reaction to stress and trauma. Yet in our weakness and sinfulness of heart, it can provide a way of escape from the bigger challenges of life. And then there's this principle to think through, severe family dysfunction. Now I must confess, I used to sort of laugh when we talked about the concept of a dysfunctional family in counseling school. In my mind, all families were dysfunctional. Maybe even the original root word of family simply meant dysfunctional. But the reality is that some families are way more dysfunctional than normal sinful patterns. These severe patterns of abusive speech, attitudes, and relationships are sometimes seen in generation after generation. We can easily point to the origin of many problems as rooted in the ways family operates. After all, our families are full of sinners. So what if some of the following dysfunctions are present? Every member in the family is isolated and separate. There's abusive control by mother or father or both. There's emotional detachment and lack of any compassion between family members. Or family members are overly connected and enmeshed. Or maybe there's high criticism and condemnation. And finally, the presence of alcoholism and substance abuse in the family. The list can go on and on. So many things in our family life can produce lifelong problems, especially if there's no change or repentance. Now, this doesn't mean we can blame all of our problems on our family of origin, yet we should recognize the impact and deal rightly with it. Sinfulness in families are normal to this fallen world. Yet, the most severe of behaviors can produce the desire within hearts to isolate and detach from this reality. This is especially true for certain personalities that are much more susceptible to being withdrawn and socially fearful in the first place. Well, let's end this brief discussion of the psychotic disorder known as schizophrenia by thinking about our responsibilities as Christians to someone diagnosed with schizophrenia as well as their close family members. My wife and I have an extended family member who has had schizophrenia since he was a young man. We have spent many a holiday with him as well as other visits. When he's on his medication, he can be enjoyable and very interesting to talk with. But I must confess that there are plenty of times that I've wanted to avoid conversations with him and even have been reluctant to say much more than a hello. He seemed to enjoy talking with me, so I toughed it out. Unfortunately, not with the best attitude. And yes, I know, I'm a biblical counselor. It's just easier to avoid those who exhibit bizarre behavior, almost seeing them as less than human. We can feel like there's no real point to talking to them, especially about anything of substance like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I read a response to a question posed to the late Dave Pollison of CCEF that really encouraged me to get the right attitude about time spent with someone with schizophrenia. The question basically asked if there was any point talking to a paranoid schizophrenia. Here's David's response. One beauty of a Christian approach to people including extremely disturbed people, is that you can always talk with anyone. No guarantees that they'll listen, of course, just as there are no guarantees that normal, undisturbed people, who also have madness in their hearts, Ecclesiastes 9.3, will listen either. Indeed, there are no guarantees ever when we seek to love a fellow human being, But I think that your teachers would have better served their students if they had firmly noted no guarantees with medicine, of course. When meds take the edge off symptoms, that is a plus. And if the benefits outweigh the negatives, that is also a plus. But if counselors and or strugglers put their prime hopes in medicine, that's a big negative. And if counselors and or strugglers think that becoming a higher functioning sinful human being is a good enough goal, that's a big negative. We also run the risk of making those with psychiatric diagnoses into victims of their medical condition. If that happens, then important things about the individual gets lost. This person is a creature of God. He is an image bearer with gifts and potentials. He is a sinner whose sins are unfathomably complex. He's a member of the human race. He is also a sufferer in multiple dimensions. Whatever things are going on in the relational, social, cultural sphere and in the physiological sphere are unfathomably intricate. And this person is redeemable by the mercies of Jesus. He will either perish forever or he will live forever, just like every other person. My next comment might seem like a nuance but it significantly affects our attitudes toward people with a diagnosis. I do not think of these individuals as those with paranoid schizophrenia. When a description of a person's problems is made into a thing that the person has, it scares us off from humanizing the individuals. It keeps us from being able to identify with the person. It intimidates us from making humane efforts to connect, from seeking to normalize, to humanize and to interact constructively with thoughts, emotions, and actions that seem bizarre and abnormal. So thank you, Dave Paulison, for those wise words, because there you have it from one of the best biblical counselors of my generation, a great reminder that we should always be willing to interact, to talk, to be a witness, to love, to share Jesus with all people, even those with the most severe of mental issues. You will never know how the Holy Spirit will work in people's hearts, even with profound physiological and psychological inability. Now, the last point I want to emphasize in this podcast is the help the rest of the family members need. Much like a family touched by disability, to have a loved one with a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia has wide-ranging impact on parents and siblings. You may have a family in your church that needs to be loved and encouraged when most people will shun them because they all seem crazy or odd. While the church may not be able to do much to help the person with schizophrenia, there's much to be done for the family. Parents need a listening ear to hear their story siblings also need to talk about how this impacts them on a daily basis all of the family members will need to know they are accepted in their local church even if a family member exhibits strange odd behavior rather than shying away and avoiding these tough situations we must embrace people where they are biblical counseling is not just about striving to solve problems but the offering of Christ-like compassion and care for all those who are hurting. Even when we struggle to understand why someone is living under delusions, having hallucinations, and fundamentally detached from reality, we can always listen, love, and offer the hope of the
0: gospel by our words and actions. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasny. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.